Do I have to address you differently now? No. Hi, I'm George Tekmichev here with Steve the... Big Cat. World Champion Anderson. And uh, we're here for another podcast. And this is the first podcast that I have done with a freshly crowned champion of the world. Well, here I am. Here you are. (laughs) You know, when we were talking in the last podcast about how you were going to Ireland and how you were going to go and shoot, I'm I'm like, yeah, he's going to podium. He's he's got the right attitude, even though he hasn't been practicing a lot. He's going to get by on talent. But um, you exceeded my expectations. Kind of exceeded my own a little bit. I I wanted to make top four and and medal. That was kind of the goal. I thought you would. I thought you would do that at least. <sighs> I had a lot of new stuff rolling on that bow, and I thought this could be. I I, I never had a hundred percent confidence in some of the changes I had made. So I thought, well, this is going to be either okay or crash and burn and you had to beat the world outdoor target champion the reigning one to do it yeah in in what is essentially target shooting target archery in the woods yeah because i mean you know field while you're while you're going through the uh, process of 24 targets unmarked 24 targets marked that's field archery for that's sure field archery yeah but the finals the finals is pretty uh, much you know how far it is you know what your cut's going to be yeah you had jesse broadwater in your coach's box Yep. You could do worse. He, uh, I asked him to be there to pass the torch. All right, so i got to ask you. All right, many of us have seen the video, all right? Not me. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so Steve Anderson goes, he shoots a four, and you look like the world had ended without realizing. I don't think you knew. You didn't know you'd won, did you? No. You were so focused. No. You were so focused on your shot, you didn't realize you'd won. Well, I didn't realize they had – so I had just seen on target three – the uh the scoreboard and you know after target two we were tied and after target three i thought we were tied so it was wrong so yeah the 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 scoreboard initially was wrong and then they corrected it they had a bad vantage point they were hard to the left of that and he shot an arrow to the left of the dot so they look at it they they call it a five on the scoreboard and the announcer called it a five no asterisk no asterisk and then uh it ended up being a four and I, I think maybe Jesse had told me that. I don't know. I, I was You get kind of tunnel vision at that point. Oh, so I expect so. I step up. We shoot. We each shoot a six. We each shoot a five. And then he cuts one loose, and I know he wasn't happy with it. And I cut one loose that I thought was – I thought I was going to bury it, you know. And I uh, must have had a lot of adrenaline going because it ended up in the four ring. And, and Jesse called four, and I kind of got – like, man, that sucks, you know. So I look at the thing, 654, 654, okay, got to shoot off. So I, you, didn't know, I, you didn't know you were a point up. No, I didn't know they'd corrected the score. And I didn't look at his target on the bunny, right, to see that. I just checked my own, and I had 665. Uh, I didn't realize he had 664. So I'm getting ready for a shoot off. I, I mentioned that or something to Jesse, and he goes, dude, you won. And I turn around and look at the target, assuming, like, because I hadn't, I hadn't even looked through the glass. I don't think at sixty meters at the last target. So yeah, it looked like you were resetting, getting your head ready for the yeah, for the, what you thought was an inevitable shoot off. Yeah, or and then when he told me that, I thought it was a, an error or a correction on on this particular target. So I look up there, like, are, are you sure they haven't they haven't even got to the, the judges haven't even got to the target yet? You know, they're off standing in the cliff somewhere. He's asking Jesse Broadwater, "Are you sure?" Yeah. Well, fair question. At yeah, the time. at the time you don't you don't want to start fist pumping, you know. Fair question. So I said, "Are you sure?" And he goes, "Yeah, dude, you won." And I said, "I'm going to give it a minute, and let it sink in." Well, I, you oh, know, just wait, wait and yeah, see. Yeah, I'm going to wait and see. You didn't want to. You did not want to have the rug jerked out from under no, you. No, you don't. You don't, don't want to you. think you've got one no. in the bag and then how have many, to turn around and shoot off. How many times have we seen that? We've seen that a couple times in the last couple of years. We almost we? saw it at the Olympics. We almost saw it at the Olympics. Well, we did see it, but the guy turned around. He, you know, mm-hmm. he reset himself the coach, really quick. The coach got on him right away. Yeah, and he pounded three and went home. Yeah. So, yeah, it was it was a surprise. And then and then Jesse said, "Well, you won, dude." And, you know, and it kind of okay. I did. I won. Sweet. And then I was mad. I had shot a four. Yeah. You know, and my my brothers text me. <laughs> it looked like you either didn't know or you were ticked off that you had finished with a four. And I yeah. said, "Yeah, I was pretty mad. I had finished with a four. That was." Felt like a good one. But it's one. also that you really didn't know for sure right then and there. I, yeah, the initial, the initial look was that I didn't know. And then 
after that, I was just kind of upset. I'd shot a four, and then I was just cool with it. You yeah, know, it was like, over. It was done. Doesn't got matter. One in the bag. Doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, uh, Kibo Bay won the Olympics in London with an eight. Yeah. In a shoot off. I don't think she was complaining that she'd shot an eight afterward because she won. Uh, her opponent, Ida Roman, also shot an eight, but Key's yeah. eight was closer to center. So They don't take your name off the list or write your, your last name. No, there's no asterisk yeah. that says Olympic gold medalist won with an eight. Yeah. I mean, I, looking at that course, I wanted to shoot uh, – out of 72, I wanted to shoot 69. I felt like that, that was a, a number that I should have, you know, either – yeah, either 18, the bunny, or the 25. You're going to miss one of those just because you're in the freaking gold medal match. Yep. You're going to miss one. Yep. You know, and I missed my first arrow, and I thought, all right, that's it. Now I got to – Now it's out of the way. Yeah, and then I ended up 16ing that 25, so I was kind of upset about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I 16 thought, out of 18, for those of you not, not able to follow on this, because yeah. I know this is a little bit – yeah, anyway. The next arrow – or the next target was that steep, you know, 20-degree um, – 45 meter. About an 8% cut, something like that. Yeah, on a 60 centimeter face. So it's a max distance target. Yeah, and max distance and pretty good angle. Yeah. So Jesse and I were talking about it before, and I said, you know, that looks just like the target that we used to shoot before the Bears at big at Redding. Uh-huh. You know, and, and he goes, yeah, it, it, it used to be a Corsican Ram or something like that. Um, they've since changed it at Redding, but it was, you know, it was about a 42 or 43 yard with about a two and a half yard cut. And this one, 45 meters with about a two meter cut. So, um, it, it was probably a little more than a two meter cut. It was, it was upwards of 20 degrees from what I could tell. And, uh, I think I cut two meters figuring I would hold a little low. You know, that's kind of the tendency I have on a steep uphill. You, you tend to bob a little low and Sure enough, I broke it low X line, and Jesse said, yeah, it's in, so I shot two more. It didn't make a change. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that one I 18 which no one 18 the whole day. It was yeah. the only one. Yeah. Um, so that that was – Bit of a of, confidence builder, I imagine. Well, that if I hadn't done that, I wouldn't have been back in it. Right. You know, so to start with the 16. But I had, I had anticipated one there, one at either the short ones, and then one at 60. Three down would, would be what it would need. So it – you know, I guess gold medal match nerves, a little wind picking up and some tough targets. You know, we ended up a few points down of where I thought we'd be. By starting out by talking about the victory, <clears throat> we kind of skipped straight to coffee and cigars instead of getting to the rest of the meal. Let's let's back up a little bit and talk about getting to Ireland and getting to the second world field that you've shot. Um, and I want to talk about Linda and her great achievement, silver medalist. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to talk about equipment before we wrap up because we've got a lot of questions on our Facebook about what you shot and how you set it up, mm-hmm. how you trained. So we're going to try to hit all that before we finish. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> so so let's 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 hit the reset button here for a moment and talk about the process of getting to Ireland. You you flew there from Salt Lake City through JFK, I gather. I uh, went on the way. I went through Atlanta. Okay. So you get to Ireland. Yep. What do you see? Uh, it's about eight thirty a.m. You're tired. Oh, yeah. You know, just flew overnight. So I uh, knew I needed to make it till about 8 p.m. at least. You yeah, know? that's how, that's the formula. For yeah. those of us who travel a lot, tough out that first day. Mm-hmm. Just tough it out. And then, um, you know, you, your suffering is over and you're more or less on track the, after that. Yeah, you get over the jet lag a little quicker if you make it through that first day. Absolutely. So. Otherwise, you're just struggling with it for, for a period of time. Yeah, so my buddy Martin Cunningham, uh, he's from Ireland, he put me in touch with some uh, some folks up north of Dublin, the Foley's, and they have their own private range there. They're like 100 meters off the seafront, really cool place. Sounds nice. Yeah, it was very cool. So uh, we ran up there, get a little shooting in. Um, you know, we had never met these people, and little do we know they had planned on, you know, full Irish breakfast for us, which they, they say – the Irish breakfast was like the original and the English breakfast is a knockoff. Uh huh. And I must say, having tried both, I prefer the Irish breakfast. Well, there you go. So it's not, not a whole lot different, but, but it's a, it's a, it's a breakfast fit to fortify you for a couple of days afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. You're good to go. Yeah. So 
went up there, um, shot the bow a little bit. It was, it was windy. You know, you're on the seafront. You got to expect that. So, um, but that, as it turns was, out, that was good training, wasn't it? Yeah. Cause it was had, a breezy event. We had to shoot in the wind. So yeah, I had to be ready for that. But you know, that, that saves your butt because you go from here where we're at like 4,000 feet elevation, maybe even a little more. And now you're at, you know, 24 feet elevation. Yeah. You got to be probably double checking that site tape. So Sure, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Especially when you start reaching out a little further, you know. Yeah. Get out to your max distance. Yep. Okay. So um, you had a good breakfast. You've got some training in. You get to the field. You got a practice field set up. Yeah. Usually that setup is a fan. Yeah, it's just a giant. Yeah, yeah five meters to 60 meters. They had a double fan, a V formation type okay. thing. So plenty That's, of space. It was really a huge practice field. Good turnout? There's a lot of people there. I'm assuming it was one of the biggest world fields they have, but I don't know. Yeah, I think you're right. And so you were uh, practicing for a couple of days, getting acclimated. Yeah, I thought we started on Tuesday. So uh-huh. <laughs> I thought Monday was official practice. So, so for you, you actually got there sooner than normal. Yeah, I got there Friday. I yeah. wanted a, I wanted a little time, number one, to be prepared. I knew I wouldn't be – if I was home, I wouldn't be preparing. I'd be doing something else. So sure. I thought, get out of town, and that's all you'll be able to do. I mean, let's, let's, let's understand this. You're working full-time. You just moved into a new house with Linda. You've got uh, all kinds of stuff going on to prepare for – you know, uh, we had our sales conference. Yeah, handling a rattle can of paint while we're doing the podcast probably isn't the best thing you could be doing right now. No one would have known. Yeah. But, well, you know, you know how it is with the podcast. We always tell people what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That was, that I was, didn't shake it up. You you that was my next you move. Did, okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Just so people know. Yeah, it's just kind of the natural thing you do when you pick up. A, yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Back to it. <laughs> We've been totally derailed. All right. So, uh, the point is you got a lot going on. And you didn't have time to really focus on and practice for this thing. I mean, when I when I practice for a world field, I, I go up in the mountains with portable targets and I uh, set up with friends who are competent shooters and we, we work at it, you know. And, and I'm not saying you didn't work at it, but you didn't have a lot of time to No, I didn't work at it. <laughs> All right. Okay. I, was, I was relying on experience. So okay. I, didn't, I didn't shoot a single hill. And this goes with a question we got from Steve Snyder. Great job, Big Cat. So how is it you rarely practice, set bow up at last minute, take golf clubs to an archery event, and win the whole thing? Great if job. If I hadn't brought the golf clubs, there's no doubt I, I would have been twiddling my thumbs on Saturday and Sunday, not in the finals. Exactly. So exactly. it was kind of a strategy. So you didn't actually get to use the golf clubs? Nope. Nope, I didn't. You went all the way to Ireland, you won the world championship, and you didn't get to golf? Nope. I probably should have booked a day afterwards. No, nah, it's okay. You did fine. We needed you back in the office anyway. <laughs> um, so yeah, so you you know you get there, you get your unmarked first uh, first competition days unmarked. Yeah. And any any surprises? Any any special targets that stood out? Mm. The first three, I was just so you had to go from. Let me put it this way. You see targets differently in the sun versus in the shade. Right. So we go from the sun into the deep, dark woods, and it took me three targets to figure it out. Okay. And then Were I had you shooting a, left or right on that, or was it? I wasn't getting the distance. Oh. So um, then I had a fourth one later on that was garbage as well. And then, But other than that, I railed through that course. Uh-huh. So ended up with a 415, which, uh, you know, Dave led at 419. Uh, Sonder was 418. Then so Justin pretty, pretty close cluster of uh, scores. Yeah, I mean, given I dropped 10 points on four targets, I was pretty pumped with 415 to end the day. Any, yeah. Anytime you're in the teens is good. Okay. Next competition day, you've got marked targets, and generally they stretch those out. Yeah, so, yeah, you're always going to have, you know, three distances for each target face, which really turns into six because you shoot through the course twice. Yep. Or a, you shoot through two courses. So, yeah, it's, um, you know, most people score lower in the marked round than they do the unmarked. Because it's further. Yep, it's further. Um, the unmarked, if you know what you're doing, you know, you're, you're going to get the distance. And and often we get gnarlier shots, you know, in terms of vertical displacement. We get, uh, you know, a lot more drop the arrow and you might hit the target kind of shots. Yeah, so it was... Did you have a lot of elevation change at this particular venue? We actually had more than I anticipated. It was it was cool. There was uh, 
it wasn't a hard course by any means. You know, it's not like a European Pro Series course, but it wasn't like Zagreb. Zagreb was a walk in the park, mm-hmm. you know. Literally, in Zagreb, you may have cut a half meter mm-hmm. somewhere. I don't know. I don't even know if I did. And here, you know, we had some quads that were steep. We had a we had one good, I think it was 50 or 55 meters that was pretty steep. And then we had some other ones. You know, there was there there was some constant angles there was very few completely flat targets and then you know we had three or four where you're out in a 20 mile an hour wind so that was those were those were hard sure those were the tough ones the birdies um nothing crazy on the birdies okay because sometimes you know i've seen birdies where you needed a ladder to get the arrows back yeah and i think that'd be cool but i think I think uh, world archery doesn't necessarily like that. It, you know, slows down the event. They have tamed it down a bit. Yeah. I believe they ask organizers to, uh, you know, keep the courses fairly moderate for, uh, I think that's as much for the judges as for anything else. That very well could be. Yeah. Cause it's, I mean, it's a pain to get up on a ladder or get, you know, somewhere super steep to get to a bunny and change targets. It's dangerous. If it's muddy, people can't get to it. So, and in Ireland, you know, you're planning on rain, I went there expecting rain every day. Literally got rain on zero days that I shot, so mm. that was cool. But Rahafa Zan Juan on our Facebook um, says, "Congratulations on your victory, Steve." It's oh a- yeah, I read this one. Yeah, if I was a person who was offended easily, I would be offended. Well, <laughs> it is a very shock victory indeed, because even I did not expect you to win it at the first place. Furthermore, I know you more as a fifty-meter target guy. Than a field guy. That's where the offense comes in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Having said I'm that. I'm cool with it, though. That he that he's shocked that you won or that, that he thinks of you more as a target guy? Uh, he could be shocked that I won. That's fine. You know, there was some shock to me as well. <laughs> but the 50-meter the guy, come on. Nah. Having said that, there are many big-name American field and 3D archers, yet very few of them willing to make the leap to compete in the world stage like WA Field Championships or IFAA World Field Archery Championship. Instead, they somewhat more content competing in IBOSA or NFAA within the USA. Any reasons behind this trend? Actually, I disagree because if you look, you know, world field is a who's who. It's uh, Dave Cousins. It's Steve Anderson. It's freaking Jesse Broadwater. Yeah, the issue is I we mean, can only send three. Yeah, it's Sandra Dolderman. It's I mean, you know, keep going down the list. These are top guys, and yeah. and so actually, no, it's it's uh, not correct that you don't have that very few of them are willing to make the leap. You can just only get to send three to the World Field Championship. I don't know about the IFAA stuff. I mean, that's that's more of a club shoot. Yeah, the IFAA doesn't. I mean, anybody, tends to anybody get can some, go to that more or less. Right, and it tends to draw a local crowd only. Yeah. So especially when it's in a place like Australia, like it was this year, which I, I guess yeah. it was at the same time as as the actual World Championship. Yeah, I guess it was, and it, that's that's how it tends to be. I think a few years ago it was in the U.S. and it was in Florida in December. Uh huh. You know, so yeah, guys aren't. That's indoor season. Yeah. You know? It's it's that's not a World Championship. Yeah, your your top shooters yeah. aren't going to shoot. IFAA stuff. Well, it's a club shoot. I mean, you know, and it's, yeah. and it's great, but you got 89 world champions coming out of that thing. It's ridiculous. Uh, right. Yeah. And All there's, right. And there's no prize money involved. There's, you know, for the top shooters, that's uh, it's a lot of expense for no return if, you know, they're thinking that way. Let's talk about your boss, Linda. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, what's the deal? She goes to her world championship target uh, field archery for the first time it's Freaking, actually her third is it yeah she shot zagreb 2004 zagreb 2014 and then yeah this one was her her third but she's well known as a target archer yeah she's literally it was her third world field it was her fourth field competition okay i guess that's more of what i'm thinking yeah. here you know <laughs> she's not what you'd call a seriously you know one channel field shooter no almost, she's a straight up target archer almost won the thing yeah, I mean, that was – I kind of it, – it's probably my fault. You know, we didn't shoot a single hill, and I don't know if Linda's shot up a hill in her life. So she doesn't have that experience of redding where you come out of the canyon and you shoot nothing but uphill shots. And You know, not that any of them are hard, but when you're talking, trying to aim and trying to execute, as alignment starts changing, you need to know how to react to that. So she had some – 
you know, mishaps on like that 45 meter. She, she didn't shoot it as good as she wanted and a uh, bad shot on the 60 that she, you know, wanted to have back. And some of that's probably just, uh, you know, your typical gold medal match pressure and in that, but the rest of it's probably on me not having her prepared. Yeah, whatever. I mean, you know, silver medal. There's nothing to sneeze at. Yeah, and she was dominant in the March round. So I told her, you're going to come back in two years and we're going to have some more field under your belt and you're going to be right back there again. So and, be ready. And like the men, you know, a lot of the top women were at this event. Uh, you had Jamie Van Natta there. You yeah. Had, you know, a number of top women there. Yeah, so. it was – and it was – some of the results surprised me. You know, some of the – women who are top level target shooters didn't advance and some of the you, you could kind of see the people who come from specialized field areas they they started to move their way through yeah. so there's a couple of countries where they practically don't let shooters uh cross over france is one of those where generally although you know if you're john charles valadon you get to you get to tell them what you're going to do but um for years like carole ferro was only allowed to shoot in field events you know and she won the world field i don't know how many times mm -hmm. and for years there's been sort of that okay you are a field shooter or you are a target shooter in places like france and a few other countries right or if you you know you grow up in somewhere in italy and you live by a field italy course. is a good exp yeah. a very good point right yeah um jessica tomasi who uh who shot really well at this event <laughs> Jessica has about what a twenty-two inch draw, probably. I don't even but, know. Yeah, but she cool. lives in the Dolomites. Beautiful country out there, and and so you know, field archery is her thing. Yeah. Although she's a great target archer as well. Yeah, you see the, you know, the Swedes, the Italians, Slovenians are really big into field. Mm -hmm. Slovenia is yep. huge field place. Yep. Um, yeah, those people you'll see a lot of them at World Field that you'll never see anywhere else. Yes. And they, they do well at it. Absolutely. So. You know, and it's just like anything else. They work at it, so they yep. get good at it. So must be even more vexing that you beat them all. So, <laughs> all right. Um, let's see here. Heading down the list, of, lengthy list of questions we've got. Um, congratulations on the field win from Trent Carberry. Uh, you mentioned in the last podcast using a, um, a lens with an etched dot like to hear more about that do you use it with a clarifier and a related question from someone else here uh, i saw it here a moment ago but it was it was expressing the idea that you're shooting a lot of power and and not using a clarifier and that creates a fuzzy image and they don't understand how you can deal with a fuzzy image that is someone who doesn't understand aiming necessarily um yeah so first part of the question yeah, it's uh, I I had a I think it's about a twenty thousandths etch put in the center of the lens, so it was done on I'm assuming like a bridge port or something, so that it's perfectly centered. Um, part of the reason for that I can either paint fill it if I want and have you know a, a perma dot, or I can always have a center. So if I lose a dot, I know you know I don't have to try to pull out a a template and hope I get a dot back. Just, in the just to clarify, I was conflating what we have on our feed from Facebook with what we received at podcast at Easton oh, okay. com. Okay. So here's the other part of that. This came from Marcus uh, Josephson in Sweden uh, saying, um, how come I hear that a lot of not all American top shooters don't use a clarifier in their peeps and have up to five power in their scopes. This makes no sense to me because it's blurry to me when I look through a four power without it. Do you guys accept the blurred target or do you have some, um, super lenses in the scopes <laughs> yeah so i'm one of those guys using a five power and probably at a, a longer radius than everyone else so it's and, pretty powerful and the real yeah the real question is not the power it's it's what's the diopter yeah and how far is it that's yeah. what determines the actual magnification right so, so you're you've got a fuzzy image yeah and you know 364 peep or something like that um so it's it, you know you you pull the peep down to sharpen it up I'm not a big fan of clarifiers because as light changes, so does point of impact. And how many archers have we seen lose or have big problems yeah. because of rain? Right. When so. you have a clarifier and in field archery, you're going to get rain. Yeah. So, um, no, I, I don't see, you know, rings and stuff like that perfectly. Well, I can distinguish a lot of stuff and the edges aren't very blurry. You know, it's still a fairly sharp image. Um, 
I think if I went any more powerful, it would be pretty tough to handle, but I've also shot six power indoors with no clear with, yeah, no clarifier and it, it works. You can make it happen, but, um, to some, for some people having too sharp of an image is also, you know, creates aim aiming issues. Well, that's where I was headed with this, right? If you, if you're seeing every little detail on the target, every little bit of movement is magnified. Whereas if the target's somewhat fuzzy, you can move around naturally and not lock up on the thing. That's kind of, that's where I want to be. I don't, I don't need to see it too well. I can tell if the dot's centered in the, in the yellow. And the other side of a clarifier is it'll fuzz out your dot. So if I use a clarifier, I have to generally have a little bigger dot or a pin, you know, with a very bright fiber, which I don't like. So there's issues both ways. Daryl John McLaren Wilson says, Steve, on the unmarked course, you were in a tough group. Did you feel any added pressure by shooting alongside Ireland's top archer? <laughs> LOL. <laughs> yeah. So Daryl was in my group. In yeah. Case yeah. Anyone didn't Obviously. register that, but yeah, it was, it was fun shooting with Daryl and um, I think we met a couple of years ago at Telford, if I remember right. So yeah, that was a couple of years ago. Yeah, what was it? 2014 or so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So good stuff. So yeah, it was fun shooting with those guys. We had good crews both days. Uh, just continuing on with uh, some of the field stuff here. Uh, now that Steve is world champion, David Keogh wants to know: Can you finally make that fletching contact video already? Oh yeah. <laughs> I keep forgetting. I know you do, but that's okay. I can tell you what happens though. It hits mm. high ten mm. on a. 50 meter target hey i've got a um a good one here from steve yee our friend steve down in uh, arizona um industry question can either of you explain from your perspective as to why the koreans aren't as visible in world field as they are in other forms of target archery first of all count your blessings (laughs) i'm kidding um you know steve i think the thing is simply a matter of focus remember uh archery is not recreational so much in korea there's 1500 shooters total in the uh, kaa Um, you don't get to play at the sport. You either are serious competitor or you don't get to shoot archery. And I think field is a little more, um, of one of those things. It's a diversion from their main goal, which is domination and target archery. Now they've just started sending people to indoor events, relatively speaking in the last few years, right? Mm -hmm. The first time I saw a Korean at a world indoor was 1997 after they've been dominating since like 1984. So I don't expect that, you know, field archery, the other thing about field archery is I don't know for sure that Korean form as strictly applied as the Koreans tend to do is flexible enough to work on anything other than a level surface. Hmm. I, I haven't thought of it that way, and I wouldn't know even if I had. But I'm, know, I'm kind of thrown out a guess there, but I think knowing what I think I know, I, I would say that might be a problem. Could be. But what you said, you know, initially the focus on target domination and Olympic domination. That's really what it comes to. Yeah. And, you know, recently Korea just announced a new target series or singular tournament. I'm not sure. $400,000 prize pool. And you you have to, you know, as you register, you name your coach and your coach gets 25% of the winning. So winner gets a hundred grand, you know, so 75 to the shooter, 25 to the coach. So. I don't think anyone's going to spend a lot of time shooting field for free. Right. And I don't think any coaches are going to really want to dive into it because fields got, it's harder for a recurver than it is compound. Yeah. You and know, you, Brady's explaining to me how he has to cut uphill, which isn't always a cut, you know, and, and how essentially with a recurve, you get a varying peep height. So your sight tape can drastically change with hills and some other things and, you know, for those guys, that's that's a lot of that's a lot of stuff to dive into for, you know, very little return and a, a once every two years tournament. Yeah, and I'll, I'll say one more thing, and I think that maybe it's it's a function partly of most of the people I know in field archery are doing it because they love to shoot field archery. Yeah, they, very they, well. Could they be. Yeah. they love the you know the variety and mm-hmm. the the I mean every shot's a different shot. Every field course is a different field course. It's a challenge all the time. Conditions can change from one day to another. It's, um, and, you know, we've talked about this before. It's, it's more of the um, all-arounder, you know, that, that does well at field archery. It's not necessarily mm-hmm. the specialist. Yeah, it's, uh, you got to be versatile. And so. you got you to be kind of, you know, quick on your feet, I, I always say. And 
first thing I tell Linda when she goes out, she'll say, well, why did this happen? You know, she likes to ask me why stuff happened because I, I, maybe she thinks I have all the answers and I don't. But I said, you know, you got to you got to be intuitive on the field course and you got to be aware of what's happening around you. She was having some issues with gauging, you know, and I said, well, look at the lighting when you move into out. You know, what happens to your peep when you go inside versus outside or, you know, dark to light. So a stuff certain, like that. You, you got to be intuitive. A certain degree of self-sufficiency is needed because you can't have your coach with nope. you out on the course. Nope. And self-sufficiency in terms of being able to deal with equipment issues too. Yeah. You, it's not like, you know, 50 meters, I can probably have a bow that'll shoot 710 plus in a matter of 20 minutes. You know, it, it's more an issue of getting sighted in. Whereas at field, you got to make sure everything's falling in a straight line from 60 meters down to 10. I will say this, though. I think that if the Koreans put their mind to it and wanted to shoot recurve field, they would be dominant in a relatively short time. I, Probably I believe by that. 2018. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think so. Yeah, and I, it would be cool to see one. And it might who, not be their top shooters in yeah, target Yeah, that's what I'm archery. saying. It might be a C-team type thing. Yeah. Yeah, that would it would be great to I, see them. I just suspect they could crush it if they put their minds to doing it. I yeah. just don't think that, you know, like I said, there's just no recreational Western archery in Korea. I, you know, the exception being the traditional Korean stuff. But yeah. that's, this is, you know. Yeah, if they said today, hey, we're going to be at the next field championships, you know, by tomorrow there would be a pretty decent field course set up somewhere in the mountains. You and betcha. They'd, they'd be figuring it out. Absolutely they would. So And, and that's the thing, they they probably wouldn't, you know, consult someone for knowledge, they would just figure it out and do it their way, which is like they've been doing with compound. (laughs) Yeah. It's probably the best way. Do it on your own. I mean, they've been doing a very good job, more or less on their own of, of getting compound down. It's not canonical necessarily in terms of setup and some other stuff, but they've done a very good job with it. Yep. Now, um, at the same time, they haven't put the full devotion into it like they have with recurve, you know, not yet, not yet. Maybe that's a good thing for the rest of you guys who make your living from compound. I'm ah, going to bring them on. Yeah, I know. I know you. You don't mind. Um, our our uh, our our class troublemaker, Andy McDonald. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard of people who insist on testing to see which way their bare shaft arrows rotate out of the bow and then fletching to match that rotation. I've also heard of people float testing modern carbon arrows to find the stiffest spine. Float testing. Which of these do you think is more pointless? <laughs> <laughs> they're both pointless. Thanks, Andy. Uh, <laughs> they're both pointless. Come on. Um, I, I get some guys asking about, you know, the bear shaft rotation. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't got too much time to on your mind if you're thinking about that stuff. I'm sorry. I, I want cable clearance first, so I just go with a left helical. David uh, Anthony in Cleveland is uh, where I just was this past weekend. We had our our world uh, premiere for New Eastern Target product uh, for twenty. What is next year? Twenty seventeen <laughs> in Cleveland, uh, actually near Cleveland, uh, this past weekend. So, uh, big fan of the podcast. Keep up the great work. So, I'm shooting a thirty four pound recurve and using Easton Carbon One arrows. I currently have AAE wave veins on them. But as I've been losing them, I'd like to switch over to spin wings or similar style veins. Will this totally alter my grouping? Will I need to retune? Okay, two separate issues here. One, why are you losing your wave veins? If you stick them properly with the right glue, that shouldn't be a problem. So check your prep. You know, make sure you're using fresh as opposed to old glue. That Hit them with some acetone Hit them with first. Some something. Clean them off. Something. I like MEK personally or yeah, either isopropanol. Way. Um, well, what I really like is our... Uh, yeah, the prep pen. pen. Yeah. yeah, the arrow prep pen works really well. Yeah, that, Clint, Clint uh, cooked that up, and it works great. You can see how uh, inclined we are to plug our products. We forgot. We forgot yeah. to plug our product right there. Yeah. Well, whatever. Um, anyway, <laughs> I was reading on. Uh, did I tell you about that post I saw on Reddit? Somebody pointed me to. It was somebody saying. We want to do a podcast because the Easton podcast is too commercial. It's like, really? Okay. I didn't hear about that. Yeah, well, it's just, you know, Reddit. What are you going to do? Anyway, um, so let's get back to David's question. Um, yeah, David, you're going to have to do a little bit of, of retuning, but will it totally alter your grouping? Will you need to retune? Not much. They're both comparable in weight, if I remember right. Well, the wave vein is lighter than most normal veins, but not mm-hmm. quite as light as a spin wing. Yeah. But unless you're on the edge of something, I mean, you're shooting a 34-pound recurve using carbon ones. Carbon arrows are relatively insensitive to weight change, per se. You're not going to see much change. 
No. You might see an improvement in grouping, to be brutally honest with you. Um, so that that should take care of that one. Um, Belinda Maxworthy uh, is enjoying the podcast. Thank you, Belinda. She's shooting a 70-inch Hoyt Prodigy RX 40-pound with 46 on the fingers and struggles to make her X10s tune. 46 pounds. That's, uh, I'm presuming, Belinda, you're a lady with a name like Belinda. That is a lot of weight. I'm impressed. So, um, you know, I she's shooting with the button as stiff as possible, but the bear shaft still shoots soft. She says she's shooting 325s. I can Ooh. almost make them tune if I nearly max out the button, but by that point I've run out of thread on my sight pin. I have a long draw length, so my arrows are around 31 and a half inches from knock groove to carbon. Well, I have to cut these from the back, and I can't lower draw weight without going past maximum number of turns out from the bolt that Hoyt recommends. Huh, she shouldn't have to go that stiff, though. No. Not that's, even, that's probably similar specs no. to Brady. Yes. And, but he's shooting more poundage. More poundage. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a bit of a puzzlement. Um, gosh, I would say that if you're if you're running your cushion plunger super stiff and the bear shaft is shooting soft, you're getting a fake reading from the from the bear shaft tune. So maybe something else like in the... Yeah, you didn't mention a bunch of stuff, though, and so I'm going to just mention what the variables need to be when you talk about this kind of thing. First... We kind of need to know where the string is on your fingers. That that matters a lot. How many layers are in your tab? Need to know your brace height, right? Need to know what limbs you're using. Need to know some more details. So without going into a lot here, I would double check your tune uh, because it doesn't sound, it, it's not all adding up. Knock fit. Yeah, yeah, all that. Something's not adding up here. So um, we have a couple more you know, questions of about uh, equipment here. Uh, let's see here. Um, Jeff Jenkins. You know, Jeff Jeff is our first listener. Did you know that? Uh, yeah, I did. Yeah. So Jeff um, says, Firstly, great episode. Thanks for doing the podcast. It's fun and informative. Tell your corporate masters that I bought a dozen X10s because of your show. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well... Anyway, uh, Steve, please, a surface. That's like telling a dude to go shoot a Bowtech. Sorry. <laughs> it might look like a bow. It might shoot like a bow, but give it time. Then it gets ugly. I, uh, Just I get a MacBook Pro and one, run Windows in a virtual machine with Parallels Desktop or VMware if you really have to have a copy of Windows, spelled D-O-Z-E, to run some specific <laughs> application. Um, you know, he's, he's got a point. That's When I have to run Windows, that's what I do. I use my MacBook Pro with, uh, with VMware, uh, Fusion, I think it is. And um, it works just fine. Yeah, it, I'm the guy who was trying to get both of my screens to work. You know, I had my laptop in the docking station mm -hmm. and only one screen would work and they had to show me that you have to close the screen on your laptop. You got to, it's work. a Dell, isn't it? I, it's, I, it must be. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you know, it's the oldest active computer in the company. Well, no, that's not the oldest active computer in the company, but it's the oldest one that they're issuing to anybody in the front office like us. So, ah. cause I've seen older ones and I don't want to hear complaints about computers. You should see what I got issued when I first started with the company back in the day. <laughs> They gave me an abacus. <laughs> typewriter. <laughs> typewriter. <laughs> ah, you funny man. No, but almost. It was a Zenith Z100. If you did a refresh in AutoCAD, you could walk away, walk down all the way the hall, all the way down the hallway, make a cup of tea, chat with your friends, walk back, and and it, if you got there around eight minutes later, yes, you'd see what you asked for on the screen. I'm not exaggerating. It took eight minutes. Nice. So yeah. Yeah, I don't, it took 15 uh, hours to run. Uh, never mind, I, I'm not going <laughs> to. There's just, back in my day, and we had to walk uphill two ways in snow or whatever. All right, so, yeah, that was, yeah. Yeah, your computer's just fine. Quit whining, world champion. Um, hi, George and Steve. First of all, congrats, Steve, for your most recent win. This is from Kafir Bihar. Uh, as for my question, I'm contemplating buying the 340 Pro Tours when they come out. Thank you for giving me that option. So I decreased the power of my bow and borrowed a set of 380s from a friend. What I noticed is they grouped really well when I was on, but I did a bit worse than my current shafts when my release was not perfect. My friend commented they're more sensitive to bad releases 
due to the smaller diameter. He claimed due to the small diameter, the bow's power stroke needed to be aligned better with the center of the shaft, and that is why a clean release was more critical with the Pro Tours. Is that actually the case, or is that a bunch of BS? He spelled out BS, but we have a clean podcast. <laughs> oh. I'm, I'm having trouble understanding what's going on here. Uh, how does your release have anything to do with this? Well, what you're... they're saying is, you know, if you... This, this comes from a, uh, another pro archer, and I, I've heard a lot about this, where oh. he says small diameter shafts are harder to tune and they're more critical. Because if you, you know, induce some torque or have some face contact or, yeah, have a, a bad release in some way, you know, stuff isn't – you're not making great shots, that uh, it's easier to drive the arrow – um askew you know left or right or whatever um and create grouping issues but um i'm calling bs yeah and i'm spelling it out it it kind of doesn't i mean large diameter or small diameter i can understand the point of yeah it's harder to you know perfectly drive a pinhead nail into a a piece of wood as it is you know a giant spike but um, at the end of the day, I don't think every the bow is that critical. Every single world record, small diameter shafts. <laughs> exactly. Every yeah, world record. Right. Okay. So, um, outdoors. You know that that could be an issue of if you're getting a lot of X's, but the group wants to open up when you're shooting bad. It may not be the right spine for you. You know, there still may be some poundage testing to to check on because I, I've seen issues with that. You know, I've had a bow that will shoot a pile of X's and I might have a 710 and I'll have a bow that'll shoot a few less X's and I might have a 710. So it's, or, or you know, a 7, 705 with a pile of X's or a 710 with a few less. So um, th- there is something to be said about finding the ideal forgiving and i use that word with quotes air quotes uh set up for you you know what what groups the best versus what groups the most central because i've had them you know where they'll just absolutely wad middle but when i'm bad they're bad and i I don't think it's a shaft diameter thing i think it's more relation of tune to the bow Mm -hmm. okay have you uh have you gotten the 411 yet on what's going on with vegas um yes so Open class championship is uh, like a full VIP type experience, you know, $500 entry fee. I'm speculating here, but I'm sure, you know, they saw Levi Morgan's tournament. Everyone, there was a waiting list to pay 500 bucks to shoot that tournament. Uh And I think they'll, I think they'll see a good number of people, still paying the 500 bucks to shoot open championship. I think you'll probably see the class drop from, you yep. know, 275 down to 225, let's, 200. Let's clarify what we're talking about here. The Vegas shoot has just announced uh, basically the premier class, the class that gets the biggest payout, the one that everybody waits for the shoot down for, which is the same class you shoot, Steve. Right. That's the men's basically, although women could certainly shoot it if they qualified, um, compound unlimited and you know it's had a number of names over the years but now they're calling it something different they're calling it open championship open championship something like right that, yeah. so it's the premier class it was 375 dollars uh normally uh 300 okay 300 dollars. it turns out by the way a lot of people pay the late fee which is 75 bucks really yeah that's what I, I keep hearing. Maybe it was two seventy five plus the late fees. Man, maybe. I don't know. Something I don't know. Like that. Whatever. The point is now it's going to be five hundred dollars. For that five hundred dollars, you get to use your own sort of private practice uh, room. Yeah. Um, you know, there's uh, a lounge. There's a lounge. I presume there will be snacks. <laughs> you know, for that for that amount of money, maybe a physio. Maybe they give you a back. Get a little massage in there. Maybe. Yeah. Why not? Anyways, the point is. I don't see it's out of line because look at the payback. Yeah, exactly. They, if you compare the payback from years past, it's not even close. I, I mean, think the only people that are going to complain about this are ones who don't have a chance anyway. That, 
you know, I hate to, you know, see it as an exclusionary thing, but I don't think it is. It's, uh, if you want to shoot in the pro class, there's some people who will shoot in the pro class just to shoot in the pro class. You know, they, sure. they probably go in there knowing full well, there's not a chance in hell they shoot three, three hundreds, but it might be a better experience for them. They might enjoy the camaraderie a little better. Who knows? Well, yeah, you get to shoot next to, you know, the Steve Andersons and Jesse Broadwaters. As well, those to, guys are dorks, but you know, well, I'm just saying <laughs> now there will be, and, and I've seen already some people, you know, complaining about it and, Oh yeah. And I get it. There's, there's not like a replacement any top, class. any top shooters complaining about not, it. You don't have to name names. N- no, no, nope. none of them. Yeah. You, you look at the guys who have an opportunity to win it. They're not going to complain. Yeah. And if you look at guys who have an opportunity to shoot well, you know, you can go in there and shoot 890. You might be able to shoot 898 in a high X count and make $600, you know. But Levi. You make, you make some money on your. Levi proved there'd be a waiting list yeah. for, for a $500 entry fee. Right. As long as the upside was a big enough prize. Yeah. And you can't tell me, you know, we're shooting the Super Bowl of archery at Vegas, arguably. You can't tell me it's not worth the same entry Bruce, fee. Bruce likes to call it that. He likes to call it the proving ground for archery, you know. And, yeah. And, you know, it's, a, it's the premier indoor event. It is the premier event of archery, so because it brings together everybody from every category. Mm-hmm. Drug testing, yeah, they're gonna test the winners, which is great. I think that's awesome. I agree, it's awesome. So brings it into compliance with uh, WADA and World Archery and every other major sport out there. Every major sport out there, even golf. Yeah, so it might it might open doors for further things, and who knows what you know, but well. I think it's a positive move. Yeah. I think it will establish beyond a doubt. Nobody can ever say, well, that guy was, you know, he had a beer before he shot. Because <laughs> that happens. It happens, yeah. And no, I mean the, the, the talking. I don't know about the oh, beer. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well the beer we know the beer too. happens, too. Yeah. <laughs> We've seen those guys. We've but, seen those guys who it happens during. You know, and, 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 and it may sound a little bit mean, but, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how drug testing affects who registers for what. Yeah, I imagine, you know, <laughs> I imagine you won't see much different there. It'll just be a matter of anyone who's trying any shenanigans in the past won't be trying to pull any shenanigans in the future. True enough. So, yeah. it's uh I I think it's great. It, I I do think the the participants in that class will probably drop a little bit and you'll have you'll have some loud voices lobbying against it. But how you know, do you lobby against it? Seriously, how do you lobby against it without yeah. throwing suspicion on yourself? Yeah, really what you're saying is, well, I wanted to shoot pro class, but I'm not into you know, the opportunities presented to me because I don't think I can, I can attain them. Well, there you go. So, Speaking of pro classers, you see who's out in the parking lot right now? Yeah, top-level pro, there Mark Pizzoni. The, the, the guy running this company is walking back from the archery park where he just spent half an hour. He walked out there when we started the podcast. Yeah. And, and he's walking back right now carrying his bow. It's pretty cool to have a company president who every day goes out there at this time and, and shoots. That's he, yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, he wants to be a better archer. Yeah. And, and if you ask him, he's my coach, <clears> and he <throat> taught me how. If you ask him. Yeah. I, um, yeah. The text I got from you after, uh, after you won, you did give credit to him. <laughs> <laughs> Because you knew we were at the sales conference, and yeah. you knew I was going to show that to him. So that was pretty funny. That was awesome. So, Steve, seriously, all joking aside, we are very proud of you. And um, I, I am personally very happy for you to have won this world championship. I know you've been working hard for it. And uh, even though you, you, you do talk down how much prep you do, there's a lot of work <laughs> mentally that goes into some of this stuff. And uh, That's a big key. I mean, I remember 2014, I was in the bronze medal match, and I was – I was pretty excited. I actually went into that very calm. Um, and shooting for bronze sucks. You you walk away with something or nothing. And, you know, even if you win the bronze, you think, well, I wish I hadn't blown it in the semis. Um, so I, I go into that bronze medal match in 2014, fairly calm, and I lost. It was pretty disappointing. So I come to this one, and you know, you, you make it in on Friday, you've got all of Saturday to think about it. And then you don't shoot until the very last match on Sunday. So I'm spending, you know, better part of, I don't know, 36, 48, 50, you know, I'm spending two days basically thinking about what's ahead of me. And, 
all I thought was this has been a goal of mine since I learned what world field was. And this is one of like three tournaments that I want to check off the list, you know, and, uh, I don't want to have to come back and do it again. Right. So I want to get it done this time. And then next time, if I do it, it's, it's, uh, shooting for another, you know, but I don't, I don't want to have to get back to the gold medal match and try to win my first one again. It's gotta, it's just gotta do it now. Yeah. So, and that was, it, it was nice to get that, to get that done, get it off the back a little bit. It, you know, it, it's not like I've been to the world field 10 times and been close 10 times and just never done it. So I don't feel like Phil Mickelson or anything. But, no, but you knocked it off at your second one and that's pretty solid. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, I mean, what else can you ask for? That's yeah, exactly. A really. bigger check. <laughs> we always ask for that no matter how big it is. Right. Speaking of which, is there a, is there a world archery payout for this? Uh, no, I got a watch from long jeans. Okay. So <clears throat> at the sales conference this past weekend, you know, the sales reps, um, we have a little diversion, right? We have them shoot a uh, competition mm-hmm. using our Easton beginner bow, you know, the plastic bow. Yep. And a product that we're bringing out later in the year, an arrow. And so they're out oh. there. They're yeah. out there shooting these bows for money, for cash. And, you know, they've got $100 bills tacked to the to the uh, target butts. Right. And if they hit the $100 bill, they get to keep it. Or they get to pay it back into the pot and shoot for a higher amount of money. Shoot for more, yeah. So the winner... The winner ended up with $1,700, and I made the joke at the time. At the time, it was meant to be a joke. So-and-so, it was Joe Snatchko, Joe just won more money than Steve won for winning the world championship. <laughs> and it turned out pretty close to being true. Yeah, there's uh, there's no payout from, from on world championships from world archery for any of them, indoor, outdoor, or field. See, it just doesn't seem right. Yeah, it's uh, you're shooting for the prestige and the title i guess you know they don't they don't pay out on olympics either yeah that's true so it's uh it's something i think they can get away with you know oh for sure because they are the one who determines yeah, they, the world i'm not champion. suggesting they they should be no it's just funny but it would be nice yeah if but did you yeah, i mean there's sponsored checks there's right? manufacturer there's, contingency yeah, yeah. there's I mean, uh, I'm 500 bucks from easton or something like that and and uh i think um your bow sponsors they pay out yeah if you're well. yeah i mean if you're shooting uh hoyt or pretty much whatever brand hoyt or matthews uh generally they always all, always pay for this kind of thing yeah they all do a contingency it doesn't matter who you are you don't have to be sponsored it's just uh you know you're Open holding contingency yeah you're holding our bow you win you get a contingency payment so mm-hmm. that's uh yeah joe didn't make more than me <laughs> fair enough <laughs> So uh, congratulations to Dave Cousins and John Demmer and Brady Ellison for winning the team round. Uh, to uh, Fabio Iba, Marco Morillo, and Giuseppe Simondi from Italy for the silver in the team round for the men's team. And uh, Jonathan Anderson, Eric Johnson, and uh, Peter Lejean from Sweden taking the bronze in the team round at the uh, world field. And then for the gold medal, Amy Oliver. That's two gold medals for her in a weekend. Amy Oliver winning the individual as well as participating in the team round there for GBR. Sweden taking the uh, women's team second uh, place. And Slovenia, uh, including Brady Ellison's wife, Toya, mm-hmm. as uh, as sort of the anchor for the women's uh, matches there. And uh, Anna Umer, uh, as well as Tina Gutman for Slovenia. Taking yeah, they the, said uh, uh, in the quarterfinals, the Barebow girl was ripping it up like out shooting the recurve and the compound toya wow. and anna yeah so they said without her they wouldn't have made it through so tina did very well for yeah. uh, for that the, you know all three categories are just as important as each other in field archery yeah in the team round especially for the recurve men brady ellison taking the win after his olympic bronze medal performance brady beating sebastian rohrberg of germany who's won this thing a couple of times as well as the world games yeah uh and john charles veladant the silver medalist of the rio olympics you know, showing his yeah. stuff. Him and Brady out in. He was the archery. defending world champion. Uh, Brady was. Oh, John Charles won in, in Valdezere. Um, I don't even remember. I know John Charles won uh, World Games when in Colombia, and it was a field. Well, there you go. Yep. So, Amy Oliver taking it for the women, winning her second world field title. 
She won uh, back, I think, in 06, if I'm not mistaken, but I mm. could be wrong. I'm probably wrong about that. But whatever the number was, she won that one. And Jessica Tomasi, who's uh, won this thing before, uh, took the silver here. And yeah, then she's coming back from – she hasn't shot for a year. Had some injury. Shoulder surgery yeah, or something. Yeah, so great to see Jessica back at it. She's awesome. She's one of my favorite people in the sport. And uh, Joanna Rasa of Poland taking the bronze. And then uh, for the compound, Steve Anderson, the big cat from the United States of America, beating Stefan Hansen for silver. Jal Amas from Norway, who's uh, constantly a threat at Nîmes at the indoor. Um, he ended up third. And he yep. beat um, he beat Dave Cousins, is that right? That's correct, yeah. Okay. And then uh, for the compound women, Irene Franchini of Italy, who's, who's a very good all-around. Indoor world champion. Indoor world champion. And uh, showing her chops in... Uh, in the world outdoor and uh linda ochoa anderson of mexico soon hopefully to be from the usa well actually it's, eventually yeah, it's done oh good okay but she's still shooting for mexico yep and uh linda taking the silver carolyn landesfeind of germany uh took the bronze i've seen her at, tar- at target events before but not uh, not as much as i've seen her at field yeah and um you know this was also a junior world championship um and your barebow world champion is Eric Johnson from Sweden. No big surprise there. Um, shooters from Spain and Sweden finishing that up. Barebow women, France, Italy, and Sweden. And so a uh, big, big event in Ireland. Well run from all reports. It was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So. Irish crowd did a good job with it. It was very good. It's a shame you don't drink because Irish stout <laughs> is without equal. Yeah. I, uh, I didn't go on any you know, Guinness or Jameson yeah. tours. I went on a Viking splash tour, which oh. is cool. You're in like in a, in an amphibious bus and you end up driving into the river and like following the path of the Vikings that overran Ireland a thousand years ago. Kind of. Yeah. They, uh, they take you around in this bus and you wear a Viking helmet and you yell at people on the street. You have like, it's, a, tur- it's like awesome. a turkey leg or something like I, that. That would have made it for me, but no, there's no snacks. It's a shame you can't have like yeah. a ham or a turkey leg yeah, or something, was, you know. It was cool. Gnawing on a turkey leg at a Renaissance festival puts you right in the right in the spirit of things. Yeah, if you're in Dublin, I recommend it. It was really fun. All right then. I I think that pretty much pretty uh, much makes a show. Well, I'm sure we're, we've Yeah. We're, we're pretty close to an hour here, so I think we can we can do 57 minutes and you got anything else you want to add? No, I'm just... Uh, How about that nice debut for the new size of uh, Pro Tour that you won with? Yeah. Uh, they were, uh, you know, like I told okay, you... Okay, you got to tell... Go ahead, tell the story. I, I told George, I said... He said, well, I guess those 340 Pro Tours worked for you. I said, uh, truthfully, I think I wish I had stuck with my 325s. They shot just a little bit better. I think it's just, you know, hair stiffer. and With your X10 325s. Yeah. Yeah. So... Um, so then I, my response was, I think, a reasonable response. What? Would you have won better? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it, they worked. They worked just fine. Would the gold medal have been golder? <laughs> what? <laughs> Maybe I would have shot that 68 or 69 in the final that I was looking for. No. Dude, you won. It was, yeah. It was, uh, it was a good shooting setup. It, it proved it time and time again. So They would have put diamonds in your gold medal. <laughs> I I. Would have just asked for some cash instead. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. No, it was, it was a good the, shooting uh, The new Pro Tour 340 coming soon to an Easton authorized dealer near you. Yeah, I had a lot of people ask me, you know, what is that? And um, Maybe you know him, GBR guy, Tapani Kalmaru. He said, oh, yeah. you know, old Tap goes, what is this, the X-15? I said, no, <laughs> no. And he, he started to tell people I was shooting an X-15, a new yeah, era. Yeah, yeah. No, you can't start these rumors. It's laser etched with experimentals, so you don't sell them on eBay. Yeah, so it had no label. So a lot of people were asking me what I was shooting, you know. What, what do you got here? What is this? Is this something new? I said, it's not anything, you know, like earth shattering or it's not really new. It's just a new spine. Yeah, exactly. So, so. well, there you go. Anyway, nice uh, – It'll make a good ad anyway. Yeah. But it would have been golder if you'd shot your X-10s. So. Ah, whatever. Yeah. I'll just, I'm happy with with. Uh, good. I'm glad to yeah. hear it because I don't know what else you could have done. Yeah, who knows? Oh, I would have shot a, I would have shot an 18 on that instead of a 60. <laughs> there was an obscure target on the second day that didn't matter that, uh, yeah, no. There was none of that. Good. All right. Well, Steve, 
once again, congratulations from all of us here at Team Easton for your world championship victory. And I presume you're going to be representing the U.S. in the World Games next year now. We'll see. It's a, it, The World Games is a target event now. Yeah. So Is that right? Yeah, not field anymore. Oh. So why are they using I, – I heard somewhere that they were going to use field as the trials, though. Um, for recurve, yes. Ah. Still a field ah. event for recurve. <laughs> gotcha. So, yep. I wish it was field still, but I got you. Now I understand. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. So okay. it's kind of more like like the World Games for those who don't know is is put on by the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, and it's more of a it's almost like a test for non-Olympic events. And um, compound field archery used to is one of those. Field archery. Yeah. Now compound used to be field. Yeah. Now it's fifty meter. Actually, they had compound and field and, and recurve in field as well. Right. At the World Games. Yeah. So and, and when I shot the World Games, I shot recurve in in you know field, field. competition. Yep. So they left they left uh, uh, field archery as the uh, for recurves. Um, yeah. Compounds back to fifty meters, but it's pretty cool. You see all sorts of sports there you normally don't see: water skiing, tug of war. Um, you know some of the other martial arts types events. But so my understanding is the next U.S. national field is going to be in Darrington, Washington. I haven't heard. Yeah, um, that's haven't my understanding. Heard. So apparently that's something relatively uh, just recently announced. That's and cool because I've heard Darrington's one of the best. Yeah, finding a place to stay could be a challenge, but uh, apparently it's a uh, it's the NFAA's Western. You know, uh, yeah. It's when when the NFA has its national course. field championship in the West, it's often at Darrington, and Darrington's a legendary place for that kind of thing. So, yep, should be interesting. Um, I might just, I might just dust off the old bow. Oh, now that I'm getting, <laughs> now that I'm able to climb Hill and Dale again. Yeah, so. there you go. That'd be fun. It'll be interesting to see. Anyway, so I think that just about wraps it up for me, George Techmanchov, and Steve, the world champion, Big Cat Anderson. End of show? End of show.